Welcome to Bossy, Brilliant, and Badass, a weekly conversation about business, careers, and personal development designed to inspire, educate, and motivate you, and sometimes ourselves, to show up powerfully, live fearlessly, and to find and unleash your inner badass. I'm Lisa Lindsay. I'm Liz Green. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to another episode of Bossy, Brilliant, and Badass. I'm Lisa Lindsay here with my sweet-talking co-host, Liz Green. Hey, Liz. Hey, how's it going? I'm good. I'm good. How are you, Lisa? How was your week? Good. You know, not bad. Things are just chugging along. You know, um, you know. Sometimes there's this theory of be careful what you wish wish for. You just might get it. And yeah. I think that that's where I am right now. <laughs> be careful what that's you wish nice. for. That's <laughs> nice. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But okay, I'm not going to be. Can I just ask you? <laughs> yes. Romantic or work? Oh God, no work. <laughs> <laughs> work we it's it's always work related it's always going to be work related but um no things have been going really well on that side of things and been really busy so that's that's good but then you turn into busy and busy just becomes uh busy <laughs> let me put it that way <laughs> for lack of better that's words excellent lisa congratulations uh thank you thank you you know you work hard and then um and then here you are so i'm going to say if you put you know, if you put some work in, <laughs> eventually it bears fruit, right? Uh, probably when you don't want it to, <laughs> like right now. Um, but it does bear fruit. So it just takes the time to yes. really kind of grind it out and do the thing and do the thing and do the thing. So absolutely. Yep. And it does bear fruit eventually. It's just about sticking with it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the tips that our guest today kind of gave us, which I thought mm -hmm. was very interesting. Um, yeah. So we're talking a little bit about copywriting, um, kind of as a follow-up from our last episode with Grace, but this, we talked specifically about writing a newsletter and putting something together. And mm -hmm. I thought it was a great conversation. Oh, me too. I thought it was fantastic. And yeah, so his name is Cole Schaefer, and he writes advertising and poetry at honeycopy.com. And we talk about this in the episode about how, like, Cole is so creative. His website is incredible. So definitely go check it out. So without further ado, let's bring him on. Welcome, Cole. Thank you so much for being here. Both Lisa and I are like, oh, I can't wait to get Cole on the show because I know you have so much to offer in terms of copywriting, finding inspiration, motivation to write. And I was looking over your website, honeycopy.com. I just absolutely love it. I showed my husband. It's like, I love all the black and white pictures and your Instagram and everything. So super excited to have you on the show. So thanks for being here. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. So when we think about copy, so as entrepreneurs, we have to write, we have to write copy most of the time on our own. Um, we want it to be interesting. We want it to feel authentic to us and to our businesses. And so why don't you go ahead and just tell us a little bit about like, how do, how does one even get started when we think about copy? Sure. So something I see a lot when people are writing copy or really writing anything, and I'm, I've even been, been guilty of this, but you 
read it out loud after you have written it and it sounds like nothing you would say over drinks with a friend or having coffee or really, you know, you never, nobody ever uses terminology like synergy and uh, just, just some of that jargon unless, you know, maybe you're in a boardroom and trying to impress a client. And so something I tell people to do often if they're just trying to write better is write write it out and then after you've written it actually read it out loud to yourself in your room or you know somewhere private that way you don't look like a psychopath <laughs> at a coffee shop <laughs> or something uh and what you'll find is you'll be able to start to kind of pinpoint you'll be able to call bs on yourself a little bit like that doesn't sound like me you know that uh i wouldn't sell something like that in that way and it it just helps you have a more conversational tone I would also tell people who maybe aren't writers or or maybe don't spend a ton of time writing, if you do have to sell something, instead of trying to sell it on the page first, just pull out a voice recorder and record yourself uh, talking about the product, like if you were talking about it to a friend, and then play the recording back to yourself and sort of pinpoint the uh, lines that really resonate, you know, and you'll be able to find some where you think, Oh man, that, that could be a really cool headline. Or I really liked how I talked about sales there. It didn't feel like I was a, a greasy car salesman or something, you know, it felt authentic. So I think that those are really easy, uh, tricks to immediately like add more of a conversational style to the way you're writing. Yeah, that's very cool. I like those ideas generally. And I, I got to say, this is the second time within a week that we're hearing record yourself. So yes. sounds like it's a big tip, people. Record yourselves <laughs> and listen to it back. But um, so so what I wanted to ask you was about this idea of conversational, right? Because you said we don't really use words like synergy and we don't throw tar- jargon in there. But conventional wisdom says that we kind of have to, not, you really shouldn't have a conversational tone. And I'm going to I'm going to kind of point to a very personal example. Recently, I submitted uh, a investigative report to um, to one of my clients, and the tone was very conversational. And one of the big topics of conversation for the community who had who got a copy of this report was, "Oh my God, this report is too informal." So, um, you know. Where I believe, I agree with you, I agree that it should be conversational because it makes it easier to understand. Um, How did you get to that place of saying, yes, it absolutely should be conversational? Sure. So I think you bring up a great point in that you can't have a conversational tone in everything that you're writing. Um, Or I guess you can as a writer, if that's your voice, but you also have to be able to say, Hey, I'm maybe not for you. You know, like, um, I have clients, uh, probably one out of every 10 clients. I very respectfully say after doing one project, say, Hey, this just isn't the right fit. Um, and generally that's because I have more of a conversational edgy, bolder sort of tone. And they might, if, if we're writing so- uh, about software for lawyers, I'm not necessarily the right fit for that. And so I think that it's just having the awareness to say, okay, I'm selling this, this bed in a box mattress. So maybe I can have more of a conversational tone, but if I am a SaaS company that is marketing towards accountants, maybe it's better for me to take on a more formal tone. So I don't think like conversation has to be the way. I just think that there's a lot of brands who probably should be talking more in that or writing more in that conversational tone. And instead they're 
reaching for sort of biz speak. Yeah. And this is what we call our brand voice, right? So how how would you go about figuring out what works for you and what your what works for your business or your brand, as you say? Yeah. So I think before you ever write any sort of copy, you definitely need to sit down and 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 ask yourself like what what that voice looks like. And so when I'm doing this with a client, something I try to always do is instead of viewing the brand as this entity, almost viewing it more as a person um, or an individual. And so I'll ask them questions like, you know, if your brand was a person, would it be a, a guy or a, or a gal? Would if we were having dinner with them, what topics would come up? What music would they listen to? Um, if they're into working out, what would they do? You know, where, are they more like hot yoga? Or are they more like uh, heavy metal, throwing weights in the gym, that kind of thing? And then you turn around and do that exact same thing with the person you're writing to. So a lot of times I think that brands say, okay, our target market is you know, women between the ages of 25 and 40, which is just so expansive that it's hard to even, I mean, I, like I'm 27 right now and I imagine I have nothing in common with the person I'll be when I'm 50. Right. So we can't make a target market that big. So instead I, I say, think you still might, yeah. you still might have some things in common, but okay. maybe, maybe a little bit. Um, but I think like, we should uh, view view that per view that like target market as an individual, you know, and do that same thing. Like, would it be a guy or, or a gal? You know, what what music would they listen to? How would they how would they talk? Do they cuss? You know, would they cringe if we cussed? Like, if we cursed in, in what we were writing, and then all of a sudden, the conversation becomes just dialogue between two people rather than. Uh, Facebook and its target market. And that to me is like how you come up with a brand voice because a, a brand voice can't just be what you're saying. You also have to take into consideration how others are perceiving what you're saying. Uh, so I think it's it's two-sided in a lot of ways. Right. So right, humanizing right. The, the individual, human, humanizing the speaker and the listener yes. in a way. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I was looking just now at your website. I mean, it's so fantastic. And it is like you can hear your personality throughout the words, right? It's almost like in looking at your website, one would know who you are from your words and your copy. Um, so our audience is made up of, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs, um, a lot of female entrepreneurs. So what can we do? Like, how can we start, say, a monthly newsletter that we feel like really we want to focus in on our brand, we want to get that out there, and we really want to, you know, do something different, say, every month, we want to write something different. Are there any other tips that you have for us in terms of finding just some motivation? Sure. So my my newsletters are probably one of the top three business decisions I've ever made. And I, I run three of them and I run them on a weekly basis. So I'm super aggressive about how often I send them out. And I'm going to say collectively, they take me 20 hours a week to run. And the reason I invest so much time into them is because it brings in a much higher quality client, which is going to pay me a lot more money and is easier to work with. And it just makes complete sense. And I can sell my courses and books and all that th uh, through them as well. But I think where people get hung up with newsletters is exactly what you talked about, where 
sometimes it's hard when you sit down to figure out, okay, like, what am I going to write about? And I think that there's so much fluff with newsletters as there is like you, you're, I mean, they're all there. So many of them are full of marketing hacks and just things that aren't super helpful. And an approach I try to take with my writing is this uh, philosophy that actually Nora Ephron, who is one of my favorite writers of all time, but her mother said it, it was called uh, uh, everything is copy. Yeah. Um, and there's been so many different twists on it, you know, but the, the phrasing I like is everything is material and I didn't coin it. I heard it somewhere, but it has literally become my mantra for writing. Um, and it's this idea that the good, the bad, the ugly is all material. And you almost have to like approach your newsletter the same way you would approach it if you were a columnist of a uh, newspaper, right? Where each week you have to show up and you have to write something interesting. And so something I try to do is just like approach every conversation I have with people or like things that I see as potential material for my newsletter. Like today I was sitting in a coffee shop um, here in Nashville, it's called Kettner. And there's this like six inch step, uh, like this platform step that steps down into another side of the coffee shop. And I'm not kidding. Like once a day, I see someone miss that step and it's so embarrassing for them because they like look around and, um, the other day someone fell and I don't know why, but the coffee shop just hasn't done anything about the step. They're not right. putting tape around it. They're, you know, nothing's there. And so I've been in this awkward, uh, moral question of like, what is my responsibility as a human being? If like people are falling over this step to continue to like, just not say anything to the coffee shop. And I don't, that's, that's probably going to be a newsletter, you know? And so I think that so much of like, writing newsletters can be made easier by taking that approach. Like another example is I try to do that in books too. The other day I was reading a a book by Tom Robbins uh, called Still Life of Woodpecker. And he was talking in that book about how Hawaii had a rat problem. And then a bunch of the sugar uh, cane farmers decided, oh, we're just going to ship a bunch of mongooses to the island to, to kill off the rats. And uh, unfortunately, mongooses hunt during the day and rats are only around at night and the mongooses and rats just missed each other. So now Hawaii has a mongoose and a rat problem and the mongooses are killing off like seven out of the most endangered species of birds on, on the Hawaiian islands. And so anyways, when I read that, I thought, okay, what a, what a beautiful metaphor for uh, basically trying to instill this point in people that don't trade out a problem for a bigger problem, you know, because sometimes we come up with these quick solutions and what ends up happening is now we have both a rat and a mongoose problem. But I think that that's where writing can be fun is you're just approaching everything that happens in your life as, Oh, that could be potential material. And it's fulfilling too, because like if a woman breaks your heart, now there's like, okay, we can turn this into like something beautiful rather than just simply heartache, you know? And, uh, so yeah, that, that would be my advice. So, so it's, it's very interesting. I like, um, what you're saying there. The first thing I was thinking about the mongoose was like, well, now we need a bunch of snakes, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> but, um, what I like about what you said there, those two examples that you gave was you are now sort of linking them back to something else. So you tell the story and it's linking in some way to something else. So it requires sort of a thought 
about the something else, right? So how do you sort of do that? Because, you know, if if I experience, I read that book and I experienced that story, a different thought would probably come up for me. Obviously, the snakes came up for me than for you, where you talked about trading out one problem for a bigger problem. Tell me how you tap into that, because that's what I'm I'm kind of curious about, about how you kind of make that turn and how do you decide that this is a story worth telling? And is there more to your process ultimately, I think is my my question. Yeah, I I don't so I think that um you know, something I think that's always smart in in marketing, writing, building a business is look at where the market's at and then just sprint as fast as you can in the opposite direction. Like one example I give is the the bed in a box mattress industry, where when we are caught when if tomorrow a bed in a box mattress company hired me to write their copy, I would say, Okay, like let's look at Casper, Lisa, um, yoga mattress, avocado mattress. And if we remove their brands and we remove their logos and we just read their copy, we wouldn't be able to tell any of them apart. I mean, they all talk exactly the same because we're, we're very much like herd animals. We just follow the herd. And so if I were writing copy for a mattress company, I would say, okay, we're going to say, you know, drop F bombs and say shit. And we're going to be edgy and we're just going to go in the completely opposite direction. Well, to like make a point there is I think that if we get on LinkedIn and Medium and Instagram, we'll be able to find this commonality in the way everybody's speaking about things. And and no one is doing storytelling super well right now because I think it takes more effort. And so to answer your question, I think like there is a connection that has to take place, you know, and I think like for writers who view it as a craft, it's much easier. But I think like simply flexing that muscle of every time I write an article, every time I write a newsletter, I'm going to open it with a story. I think naturally you're, you're, you're just going to be 10, 15, 20% better than everyone else doing things because they're just wanting to dive right into the hack, you know, and, and hacks just to me aren't enough anymore. Right. And I like what you said there, flexing that muscle, because I think that's absolutely right. If you're not used to doing that, it really is like flexing a muscle. And you know, I mean, we're all unique. We're all different. We all tell stories in a different way if we're kind of tap into our authenticity and our own creativity. Um, so, but, you know, sometimes that's hard, right? To be vulnerable and to just be yourself and show your own voice in that way. So I really like that flexing, flexing a muscle because ultimately you are going to stand out because everybody's unique if you do that. Yeah. Yeah. You are going to stand out. And there is a a level of like vulnerability that comes with that, like being in the spotlight and, and, and as that gains notoriety, but I think that that's probably like a good problem to have. But I think like the flexing that something that like has helped me a lot is there's, um, something I read about Seinfeld. Like when he first started writing jokes, he would, he had this big calendar with these big boxes all over, like the the old school calendars that you might see on your grandmother's uh, refrigerator. And he had a big Sharpie. And any day he wrote a joke, he'd put a big X on like a Monday. And then if he wrote a joke on a Tuesday, he'd put another X. And the motto that he kind of created for the for himself was don't break the chain. So once you got seven X's in, now you are all of a sudden had a chain. Then you get to 14 and it's a double decker chain. And it makes it harder to quit because you're seeing like all of this momentum. 
And I think that that kind of removes a little bit of the scariness of it for me, just because I do that same thing in my personal calendar. And if I'm like feeling some resistance that day, I just almost view it as like a workout at the gym. I just have to show up. I have to do it. I have to get through it. Uh, and then I have to do it again tomorrow and, it, and just don't break the chain. So I think you can play games like that with yourself a little bit. Right. Right. Yeah, that's great. And maybe even get some coaching around that. <laughs> we're coaches, so we're always yeah. <laughs> promoting our coaching. <laughs> so so you said you have three newsletters. Can you tell us a little bit about what they are, what topics you cover? Because I remember in our pre-chat them being like vastly different, but I can't, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's a, a good point too, is that you you know, it, it makes sense to definitely have like a theme with your newsletter, but stranger than fiction is, um, kind of this, the, the slogan is batshit crazy marketing ideas that have made brands a lot of money. So I just go out and I look for crazy marketing ideas that people have pulled off, um, that almost feel like fiction in a way. And then I write short stories on them, share kind of like the learnings from it. And people have really enjoyed that, you know, like they range from, how Airbnb early on like created their own cereal boxes to pay off $40,000 in credit card debt. Um, so they like went into the cereal business for just like a split second during the Obama election, which was like really cool. And then there's a whole nother one where this guy who makes armored vehicles stood behind one of his armored uh, windows and got shot at with an AK 47 and it protected him. So he did this viral video, which was absurd. And, but but he's like from Texas and I thought oh, that could be like an interesting story. So I wrote that. So that's that newsletter. Um, and then my other two net newsletters, one is called Sticky Notes, which is my largest newsletter. And it has quite a few subscribers. And in that, like it's kind of all about advertising and writing. But I think it's it's just different because I touch on a lot of other subjects in there too. Like about dating and like life. And I always try to like tie it back into this idea of maybe being really present in your craft, whether that's in advertising or being an entrepreneur or writing or whatever. And then I have a paid newsletter called chasing Hemingway. That's specifically around like writing. Um, and that's a much smaller newsletter, but it's more intimate and I like running it. Right. That's interesting. So, so <laughs> What do I want to say here? I kind of like that, right? Because um, they are all adjacent to what you do. I mean, obviously, because you're writing and it is a newsletter, it is showing off your skill as a writer and a copywriter, right? But you're not right. It's not boring from my perspective, which is just talking about writing, right? You've you've sort of um, used your skill to kind of show off your skill in a different way, if that makes sense. So would that be one, one thing you recommend to sort of find, uh, you know, you kind of said that before, kind of run in the opposite direction to kind of find a weird way in to your theme, because, you know, I always like to use myself as an example on the podcast, which is I'm an HR consultant. I mean, my, I don't know that my folks really want to hear weird things. They probably just want to hear, okay, what's the new law that's updated? What are the things I can do to manage my people? Yada, yada, yada. So not a whole lot of wiggle room to be interesting. Yeah. I mean, I obviously like I'm not in that industry or so I, I can't like, but the first thing that comes to mind is like, um, the Oh shit newsletter where if any like updates are made to the law, like, 
this is a monthly newsletter that keeps your ass from getting in trouble. You know, like something like that to where it's- I like it already and I'm going to steal it. <laughs> Thank <laughs> <Okay>. you. Thank <laughs> yeah, but now it's not like about perfecting the the craft of like being in HR, like in, in human resources, but now it's offering like a specific value of, you know, we're going to keep you out of trouble or whatever, or your people out of trouble or, or trouble or something like that. So I think it's looking at your business and then taking steps back on like what almost viewing your news. So I view like everything I write as a product that should be paid for, but I'm giving it away completely for free. And I think that there, there's, there has to be, a line there because so many people are like, Oh, you know, download my free ebook and the ebook shit, you know, but they download it because they get your email address. And I, I want people to subscribe to my newsletter because it is the, the best thing they're getting in their inbox and they would be paying for it. But I just so happen to be like giving it away for free. But to do that, you have to like really think about your business and think about what is something that my prospective customers like could actually use and it could help them. Um, so I don't know, we could like toy around with like different industries and, and look at like what that would be. But, uh, and then I also think it makes sense to view it almost as a, as a funnel too, where the way my entire business works is like, I write five articles a week. And then from those articles, I push people to become email subscribers into these three buckets, chasing Hemingway, sticky notes, stranger than fiction, and if you're part of Stranger Than Fiction, I'm pushing you from that, that weekly newsletter to join the A-team, which is my paid kind of community for marketers and entrepreneurs and writers, right? If you're in Sticky Notes, I'm trying to get you to uh, buy one of my books of poetry and prose or uh, buy one of my guides, um, one of my freelance or copywriting guides, or to pay me a lot of money to work with you one-on-one, right? Um, or hopefully like pay me 20 bucks a month to join Chasing Hemingway if, if you're like super into the craft of writing. And so I think it's viewing everything that you're doing as like that funnel to, because we all are in this in a way to like make a living, right? Uh, so like viewing it as a funnel. Um, and so I think for me, it's like articles, newsletters, products. Uh, and that's, that's kind of like how that, that works. But if you're like in podcasting, it might be podcast newsletter, one-on-one coaching or podcast newsletter, HR consulting, you know? So I think you have to view it that way rather than, uh, another way, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I noticed, I think this is super cool. You have written copy for some brands, which have really um, grown massive investments from crowd crowd uh, source funds, right? Um, that's super interesting. How did you get into that? So when I was first starting out, I got in touch with this crowdfunding platform called Start Engine, and they're paying me like five hundred bucks to write these sales letters, essentially, like these these sales pages. And, you know, some of those sales pages went on to make, I mean, there was uh, a Israeli based luggage company. I think it was called Samsara that I think it raised $160,000. And then the American ultimate disc league, I wrote copy for that sales page and that went on to raise a million dollars. 
and I'm making 500. So I was like scratching my head thinking this just isn't adding up like at all. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm so thankful for having that experience because when you start kind of writing those campaigns, when you're first getting started, it kind of builds confidence. Like, Oh wait, like I have some, I have some chops. Like I can take this to other industries and make and charge a lot more money than just 500 bucks for days of work, you know, where someone on the back end is making a hundred grand off of what you've written, you know, and obviously like they're having to figure out ways to drive traffic there and they're promoting and it's a much bigger thing than just the copy. But, um, but yeah, I kind of got into it by luck. And I think when you first start out in, 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 in any industry, like you're going to be massively underpaid. Um, but that's kind of part of like the hustle you have to sort of romanticize that in a way. Yeah. We talk about that all the time until, until you figure out your value once you start to kind of figure out what the line is to the value you're providing you do tend up to, tend to end up being super underpaid super underpaid <laughs> yep happens to all of us but you know what you get a great story out of it you get <laughs> you really do great material out of it right yes exactly you're going to write material. that in a newsletter <laughs> <laughs> i will uh, What's the structure? Monthly, weekly, whatever you decide, obviously. Um, well, first question, is there merit to one over the other, one doing monthly or weekly? And then the second question is, what's the structure we should be looking at to put together? How many articles? What should be in it? What are things that that make sense to, to, to be in that as we're putting something together? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So as far as like frequency goes, I think I've seen people who do daily newsletters, you know, like um, Seth Godin sends out a daily email, which is way too much in my opinion. Um, But I think that he kind of has the luxury of being super wealthy and, and he probably can spend a lot of time like writing every single day to send something like that out. Um, But then you have people who are doing weekly newsletters like me, um, which it's a ton of work. Um, but it's, it's not as bad as like the, the daily. And then there's like monthly. And I think the, the, the question most people are up against is, do you do monthly or do you do weekly? And I think you just have to be super realistic with yourself about how much time you have. Because uh, I think you should commit for a full year to that schedule. So if you decide, hey, I'm going to do weekly, like it has to be a part of your business for a full year. At the end of the year, if you say, okay, like this drove no revenue, you know, people aren't liking it, then I think you can step away. You have 52 issues out there. And by that time, you have a pretty good idea of like, whether or not the newsletter can be successful. Um, But like, if you don't think you have that time, just invest a ton of time into a monthly newsletter. So like, frequency has to be completely up to you. I think the more interesting question is like formatting, because I see like a bunch of different formats for newsletters you know one of them is actual newsletter style which is what i do uh, with sticky notes where um i have like an introduction and then i have three four five different articles i wrote that week that i add to the newsletter do a, a short little snippet in there and then have a uh, a call to action kind of button at the bottom of each section asking them to go read the article or or whatever and you can do teasers in there like the other day i did um, 10 writing tips from Joan Didion. And I didn't give away the tips in the newsletter. I was like, if you want to read them, you know, click this, this button down below. Um, so that's more newsletter style. It just takes a lot of time. And I think probably for most entrepreneurs who are super busy, they're better off doing a, uh, almost like a, I wouldn't even call it a newsletter, but just like a weekly 
mailing, you know, where uh, you just have a, you, you just promise the subscriber something. So um, like, let's say you run a podcast and something that I like, I'm a podcast junkie. Something I really struggle with is I never know what podcasts I should be listening to. And there's like so many out there that it's like Netflix. When you turn on Netflix and you have dozens and dozens of shows and then you have analysis paralysis. It's like when you go to um, the cheesecake factory and you look at the mm-hmm. menu and there's 300 items. Yeah. you it, It's just ridiculous. It's like a 50 page menu. 15 page menu. You don't know like, should you, why do they have Chinese food and also Mexican food on the same menu? <laughs> like it's, it's just a mess. And, and be called cheesecake factory. Yeah. And be called cheesecake factory. <laughs> then you get to dessert and there's like 50 different cheesecakes. So anyways, like that, but that is a service in our world nowadays because we do have so many options that if you are running a podcast or you're running some sort of like podcast platform, a great newsletter would be once a day, we send you the one episode that you have to listen to. Um, and we've done all the vetting. We, we have people who are listening, who are podcast junkies and you'll never have to like get on and like, uh, look through dozens and dozens of shows anymore. So that's a newsletter. So I think like you can be super, super short and micro by just delivering like one kind of key point, whether it's the HR thing that like keeps your ass out of trouble or the one podcast episode you should listen to that day, or like the one quote, you know, or writing tip, you can get bigger where you're actually doing a sort of like two to 300 word essay. And then you can go much larger and do the full blown newsletter. Um, I would just tell you if you're doing the newsletter, like be prepared to commit a lot of time. You got to do the newsletter. Yeah. You have to do it. You know, you have to make it really, really good. And uh, yeah, time, we only have so much time. So um, all right. So let's say I'm super busy. I want to do a newsletter because it is a part of my marketing. It sits in my funnel somewhere. It makes something that makes sense, right? My oh shit newsletter, but I don't have the time to do it. Do you recommend we outsource? And then how do we find someone to outsource to? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a good question. Yeah. I would say the only time you should not outsource your newsletter is if you're a writer. Um, there are writers in my space who claim they're writers and they have like ghost writers that are writing their stuff. And that to me is just so perplexing because it's like the one craft that you're known for doing and that what, like what you're claiming to do, right? But somebody else is writing. Someone it. else is writing it. It's just, <laughs> yeah. I think at that point you're no longer a writer, but if you're an entrepreneur, um, I think your best bet is finding like a talented writer who's young, sort of like young me getting paid 500 bucks for the sales page. Like catch, two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah catch them early and yeah. let them kind of run wild with it. Give them the reins. Because I think like at that age, what really matters is like having, uh, the ability to sort of lead the project and, and have creative freedom, you know, and, yeah. and being able to take control. And so I would tell you, like, find someone early on who you can pay 100, 200, 300 bucks uh, a week or a month to put together like a good piece and just educate the hell out of them, like with your business, like what you do, you know. And uh, like one of my writer friends does this for um, an insurance company. And this guy has like a fairly large sort of following. And like each week, the insurance guy sends him sort of a story just over a voice memo and it'll be five to six minutes. And then my friend will actually type out the story for him, turn it into like a really compelling email. And then the guy sends it out, right? He's sort of his ghostwriter. So I think it's just 
about finding that person whose voice uh, is really close to yours, or at least like how you want to sound when you write and really partnering up with them and, and, and paying them like as they get better too. But that would be, that'd be the way I would approach it. I think like a good way to do it is just get on medium or LinkedIn and find, find the articles that are really, really solid and just reach out directly to those people because those writers are like not making shit on medium. I mean, I, I'm like astonished at what those writers are getting paid. And if you just were like, Hey, here's a weekly newsletter, we'll pay you a couple hundred bucks. Um, they would jump at that opportunity. So I think that's what's called medium medium, just medium.com. Medium. Yeah, we'll yeah. Medium.com. Okay. We'll put that in show notes too. Well, where else can people find writers? LinkedIn medium. Yeah. LinkedIn's tricky. Cause you just never know. Um, right. yeah, you just never know like what kind of quality you're getting. Um, I think medium's like not a, not a bad place, especially like getting younger writers. I think another thing that would be interesting is like, looking at some universities with writer sort of workshops or solid writer programs, because you could get a kid that in two to three years is going to become a published author that is working at Starbucks, you know, who, who just wants to write and you might be able to get a really high quality writer for pretty cheap. That's a great idea. I love those tips. They're quite specific, especially the idea of um, looking for someone who is a little more junior, because we tend to think we should get somebody who's more seasoned. (laughs) And the reality is if they're looking to develop their craft, they could, you know, especially if you're busy and you're under-resourced as as an entrepreneur, I think that's all fantastic, all excellent. So if someone does want a seasoned writer and say even you, for example, where can people find you? Um, just, uh, honeycopy.com. And then I have, uh, you know, a, a newsletter tab so they can just subscribe to one of those and I'll be in touch sometime over that week. Uh, and then I'm on Instagram just at Cole underscore Schaefer. Great. And I love your Instagram listeners. I highly recommend going to it. It's all black and white. It's, it's literally the best Instagram feed I've ever seen. You probably hear that all the time, right? Um, sometimes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Um, so as we kind of wrap up and we take ourselves out of this conversation, which has been excellent, you've been, you've given us some great tips. What, um, are the takeaways that you want for our audience to have, to hear from you? Mm -hmm. I'd say final sort of like parting advice is, uh, make do and then make better. That's something I constantly try to remind myself of. And, I think it really helped me early on in my career. Generally, like when we're getting into an industry or starting a new vocation or a craft, we're getting into it because we have this amazing taste, right? Um, And Ira Glass like has really made this concept famous, but like, let's say you're a painter and you get in to painting and you have been, you're super well-versed, you know, like Monet and uh, Da Vinci and, and in and, and Van Gogh and these amazing painters, and you take the brush to the canvas for the first time and you see what you've created, and you feel like a complete and total failure because you've literally grown up tasting like the greatest art of all time, you know. Um, and so you you your your taste is a 10 out of 10, but like your abilities as a painter might be a one out of 10. And a lot of times that is where people quit because their taste far out 
far exceeds their ability to actually make the art. And so like you have to stick with it. And I think something that helps me and like it removes some of the pressure around um, perfection paralysis is kind of what I call it, but like wanting to be perfect is I just say, okay, I'm going to like just make do. I'm going to just put this thing out there. And then in a year when my abilities and my skill catches up to, to, to my taste, then I'll make it better. And, um, one, one example, actually here, I'll give you a a physical example real quick. When I first got into writing poetry, I, it took me like months to decide on a book cover and the first, and like, finally I just said, okay, I'm just going to put out a book cover because I don't need a book cover that could be hung on a museum wall. I just needed a book cover to house my poetry, to put it out into the world, to show myself like I'm capable of writing a book. So the first cover that I came out with, and this has been out for a year, is this one. And it's like, I'm going to laugh on it later on in life because it's so like, it just feels like soft porn a little bit. <laughs> and <laughs> I love it. Thank is that you? Yeah, it's me. It. Thank you. But it's it just so is a cool. little... So it's, it's basically, if you're just listening, it's cool. What, are you naked? <laughs> yeah, I'm like naked, <laughs> vulnerable. But covering yourself. Covering right? myself. And it's like very emotional, but it also kind of made me take a step back and was like, do I necessarily want this to like be an image that I want on my book? And so literally a year after the fact, when I was putting out my second book, I said, okay, like I'm going to redo the cover. And so this is like the new cover and it still has like the same like visceral and emotional feeling to it. But one minute, please. Yeah, the name of it. But it, but it like feels a little bit more modest, right? And Mm -hmm. so, like Leonardo da Vinci, he would he was notorious for starting paintings, real like getting twenty five percent of the way through, realizing I my skills aren't there, throwing throwing a canvas over them, and coming back a decade later and completing them once his talents has had caught up with his vision. And so I think, yeah, and I think that that can be like a huge strength in budding entrepreneurs, creatives, writers, anyone is just make do. And then you can always like make better later on. Um, and it removes like this paralysis around trying to be perfect, you know, in everything you do. Yeah. And that reminds me of, uh, Julie Ciardi's famous and imperfect action, take an imperfect action. And I, I love that same thing pretty much. Yeah. Very cool. Yep. So what else should people know about you? You've written two books? Uh, yes, two, two books. And my third one, which is called After Her, will be out um, like in two weeks. Um, so, Cool. Excellent. Congrats. Excellent. And anything else that you would like our listeners to know about you, Cole? No, not necessarily. Yeah. Well, you certainly have been worth waiting for. Thank you so much. This has been just an amazing conversation. Thank you. Yeah, this was this was a lot of fun. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Cole. Awesome. Thank you for being our badass of the week because you truly are a very <laughs> cool badass guy. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye. See you. That's it for us this week. Remember, you can find anything we referenced in the episode in our show notes on our website, bossybrilliantbadass.com. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate us, and leave a review. It helps us get found. And thank you for listening. There'll be more Bossy Brilliant Badass next week. So until then, be be a badass. badass.